I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I'm your host, Francie, and today I am here with Adam Langton from BMW. But before we get into everything, as you can see, we are not in our usual place, which is my home. We are in a much more fun place, and I am settling down a little bit in this conference room with Adam because I've been on the track a little bit earlier, and you're also in a different place than you usually are. But have you been out on the track today? We're here for BMW Test Fest. Have you been able to partake? I have not been on the track yet. Um, unfortunately, but maybe I'll get a chance this afternoon. Is that kind of your style? Do you enjoy it? Um, yeah, I've been on the track here before. The track is, is pretty cool. We do some of our training here, and it's a good experience to experience what the vehicles can do mm-hmm. and um, really learn about you know the potential for for our electric vehicles, for our other new vehicles. So it's a good experience for everyone. Definitely. Might as well get behind the wheel and see what's happening yes, there. Yes, that's the best way to learn about the vehicles. I would say it's it's pretty fun, too. Um, you have to you know really be into the motion as well, because there's a lot of, yeah, running around the track. Kyle, I don't know if you met him, mm-hmm. but he, behind the wheel, he really knows how to rip it out okay. there. So <laughs> it's been pretty fun. But yeah, so we're here at BMW in South Carolina um, for the Test Fest, which is really cool. And I'm talking to you today. and. You your specific role at BMW is energy services manager, and you're in usually in the Silicon Valley tech office, which is mm-hmm. obviously very different from today, right? So mm-hmm. you're usually out there, and you have a main focus, not out on the track, on the road, but mostly at home, right? Yeah, so my main focus is EV charging at home and how we can improve the experience at home, and particularly how we can help customers use more renewable energy, more clean energy when they're charging at home. Very cool, because of course, if we're thinking electric, electric vehicles, mm-hmm. there's a focus on, okay, so much potential to have a clean energy source. But right now, typically from the grid, we're not using renewable energies and it's quite a challenge, right? But there is such an opportunity at home. Would yes. you say so? Yeah, the opportunity at home comes for a few reasons. One is um, most of our drivers do most of their charging at home. 70, 80% of the charging happens at home for our drivers. Um, 
but also when you're at home, you tend to be parked for a long time. Mm -hmm. And you tend to be parked for a lot longer than you actually need to charge. So if you think about it, a, a typical electric vehicle during a, a typical driving day of going to work, maybe running some errands, driving back from work, coming home, they to, to refuel that the fuel spent to do those trips probably is gonna take maybe three or four hours. Mm -hmm. But a driver is gonna be parked 10, maybe even 15 hours. Um, after at the end of their day. So they have a lot of time to do that. That gives us a lot of opportunity to kind of shift around the charging. What normally happens is someone will come home, plug in and start charging right away. Right. And what we find, especially in California, is that's not the best time to charge. Mm. Um, in fact, in um, most of the Western part of the United States, those are the worst times of the day to charge from a sustainability standpoint. So what we can do is working with utilities and other partners, um, we can get grid data, understand when the best time to charge is from a renewable energy standpoint or from a carbon content standpoint, and then shift the charging of our customers' vehicles to those times, but still make sure that the vehicle gets full. So that right. when they leave, uh, when they're ready to leave, their vehicle is full, ready to go but just a bit more optimized. So yes. I, I definitely want to dive into the technology behind that, the partnerships and kind of the strategy here, but I also want to hear about you and your background. So how did you get to this point today? Have you always kind of been in this space or is Vehicle to Grid a new project under your belt? Yeah, so I've been with BMW since 2015 and we've been exploring and developing this technology during that time, along with a few other technologies that relate to energy charging and kind of the interaction of vehicle and our technology with the grid. Prior to joining BMW, I worked for the state of California and I worked mm -hmm. on electricity regulations. So my background is understanding how the electricity sector works, how utilities work, what the challenges are there and what the opportunities were there. So when I joined BMW, we started exploring how could we take our electric vehicles and make them more sustainable by working with the grid mm -hmm. and helping support the grid through technologies like this. Very interesting. So yeah, let's think about that strategy. EVs come onto the to the playing field. Of course, there's all the potential for the performance, the awesome offerings on the market, you know, the different models, the car itself. But then if you think about the ecosystem, of course, there's the public charging, the private at-home charging mm -hmm. there. And then if you even go further, like you're saying, interacting with the grid, because as it's set up now, how, how do you feel the grid is prepared for V to G to happen or V to X to happen in the future? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Something that is getting a lot of attention right now. So what we're doing in our smart charging program right now is, is controlling the charging, starting and stopping the charging and shifting it. And um, that doesn't create much stress for the grid. Doesn't create any new challenges for the grid. Mm -hmm. It can help address renewable energy. Um, it can also help shift the charging away from times when the local infrastructure, like your neighborhood transformer and things like that may be congested. So we can help support that. With V to G, when you're, and, and by that I mean discharging the vehicle battery. Right. Um, taking the energy out of the battery and either sending it to the home or sending it to the grid. Uh, that can create a lot more advantages because now you can start to identify. So I mentioned before, like when somebody comes home in the evening, it's not a great time to charge. That's because the there's a lot of home energy usage in our neighborhoods, our residential neighborhoods are, are consuming a lot more power. It's also the time when solar energy is either dropping off the grid or already has dropped off the grid. Mm -hmm. So we have the supply dropping and the, the load increasing. So that's a big challenge for the grid. But if you had a V2G technology, you could help support that. Instead of, right. instead of being a problem for the grid, you could actually discharge if the grid needed it. And that would help smooth out the solar dropping off 
and um, just overall make make things easier for the grid. Definitely, and you all are coming at this from a comprehensive standpoint. So you have, of course, the EV, mm -hmm. but then also a smart charging program. And let me know, does that include? Because also, when you buy or you know buy a model, you get some two years on the Electrify America network, Correct. right? Yeah. So that's public charging. And then you also partner with Qmerit to mm -hmm. help get that at-home charging. And now also, it is the smart charging program to wrap it all together. Yes, on the home side. Um, What's interesting about our smart charging program is there's no hardware requirements. It's all digital. So we're asking customers to sign up and when they sign up, they don't need to make any changes to their, their vehicle hardware. They don't need a special charging station. They can just start going. Um, the key, uh, their interaction, the key element for them is to share with us their departure time. And then we use that to make sure to have the vehicle ready by that time. So that tells us how much time we have to shift around the charging and then we then we're able to do that. So the software is in the EV, but you don't, they don't necessarily need an EVSE that is BMW, or do they? They, it, they could use any single, uh, any available um, EVSE would work for this. Because what we do is our messages actually go directly to the vehicle. Mm -hmm. So when the vehicle plugs in, we're communicating with the vehicle to understand how much charging it needs, how much time it's gonna take to get to that need, to, to reach that target, and then when they need to be ready. We look at that, or we have our algorithms look at that, and then we communicate directly to the vehicle. So there's actually, in this program, there's no communication with the EVSE. And it's actually um, something that we can actually do when the vehicle's away from home as well. We could manage the charging like this wherever the vehicle goes. Right now we're focused on mainly doing that at home. Mm -hmm. We do have one utility partner that has us do that when the vehicle is away from home as well. But our focus is mainly at home because the there's more time, the driver's more used to this. What we find is that when a driver's away from home, they usually want to charge as fast as they can. That's why they're plugging in. Mm -hmm. And there's just more complications that go on when somebody's away from home. Definitely. So you mentioned, of course, you have utility partners. How have you seen their software end of things? Because you're right doing it on the car, but they also need modern updated systems on their end to be mm -hmm. able to collaborate. How has that been? So um, when we work with utilities, um, one of the key things is we're trying to figure out how do we communicate back and forth with them messages. Um, most of our utility partnerships, it's about them telling us when there's a grid event, mm -hmm. when there's congestion, or when there's uh, not a lot of supply, things like that. They're telling us when there's an event and we will stop the charging. So we do, we do use some standards for that. Mainly we use the open ADR standard, mm -hmm. so they tell us when the event is and what they're looking for. Um, they can target that event to very narrow neighborhoods. We can get down to your specific neighborhood that has a, uh, you know, has a transformer that might be congested. We can do that. Okay. Um, what we find is that not a lot of utilities are ready for that granular approach yet, but we're ready when they are. Um, because it takes a lot of knowledge about their grid and a lot of real-time information then. Right. But when they're ready to do that, we, we can certainly incorporate that. So they need a bit more maybe enhancements on their data collection and monitoring on their end so that they're able to inform you on your end. Yes, this is a new thing for them. A lot of utilities have spent time thinking about how do they control the generation side of things. Mm -hmm. And they have you know let load kind of happen as it's gonna happen. Um, and so they focused on maybe some larger resources that they control. Um, this is an opportunity to actually control vehicles that are spread out throughout their grid mm -hmm. um, and then address the local conditions in those areas. Right, I mean, there's so much potential for the energy that is in these big old batteries that we're driving around that the, the collaboration between the OEMs and the utilities and also the 
ESMPs, right? So can you tell mm -hmm. me about their role as well, or is it only really that you work with the utilities, but also? Right now, we're um, for the smart charging, we're only working with utilities. Mm -hmm. our, our new program that we're rolling out now is actually going to be available to everyone in um, the lower 48 states in the United States. Um, and we won't have utility partners for that. Mm -hmm. We're gonna get a separate uh, data feed on the carbon content for each of the different regions and we'll be able to do smart charging separate from the utilities there. We'll continue to work with our utility pro uh, partners and we're gonna add more utility partners, but this was a way we could roll it out and scale it as fast as, you know, as, as large as we could um, focused on carbon emissions. But, what we, uh, but like I said, what we'd like to do then is start partnering with utilities so we can uh, identify when there's a grid issue that they have on their um, grid or when there's a local issue on their infrastructure system. So we'd be able to incorporate that in the future. Interesting. So can you enlighten me a little bit how you're able to leapfrog over the utilities with that program? Yeah, so we're partnering um, with an organization called Watt Time and they're a nonprofit organization that um, does grid analysis. Mm. And they actually used to be affiliated with the Rocky Mountain Institute, which does a lot of energy research. Mm -hmm. um, and so what they do is they, uh, they look at the grid, they get a lot of data from the generation and also from utilities as well. And they're able to identify what the carbon content is in, in very specific regions very of the US. And so we're able to take that data then, and then we use that as the basis for determining when to charge. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll uh, push charging into the times when there's lower carbon emissions and we'll reduce it at times when there's higher carbon emissions. And we can do that at five minute intervals. So we're getting pretty granular right now uh, about the time periods. And that allows us to get those opportunities when there's more wind power that comes on only for a brief time. Um, in some cases, uh, more solar power, and just capture those just very granular changes in, in the grid's energy content. Very cool, and this is fresh, right? A new project. Yeah, this is new. So we've been doing um, smart charging for a while with our five utility partners, mm -hmm. but now we're scaling that um, nationwide. And were those five utility partners, I know you mentioned California, were, the, were you looking in all different regions across the US or maybe? Yeah, so we've worked with a couple in California. We've also worked with one in Colorado, um, and another in Detroit, and then um, Duke Energy in the Southeast. So kind of spread around mm -hmm. um, the US. We've done a, a few different things. With each of those different partners, we've taken a different approach. Mm -hmm. um, one that I, it's interesting that we just announced a couple months ago is with Duke Energy. Um, Duke actually has created a subscription program that allows customers to get free charging at night. Okay. So they pay a monthly fee and then they can get all their charging for free at night. Hmm. We use our vehicle data to track that, to show how much charging they're doing at night and provide that so that that can be subtracted out of their bill. And what we also do then is we participate in their energy events. When the grid is congested or there's not a lot of generation, we can curtail the charging. Customers agree to participate in that as well. And what's interesting about this is then customers have a fixed monthly cost that they can potentially do all of their EV charging in. And this, so this helps them communicate about the cost of EV charging, right. which otherwise is hard, can be hard to explain to a customer. A lot of customers aren't used to what a kilowatt hour is um, or how to think about that in terms of their miles of driving. Mm -hmm. So what we can do now is we can tell them, you can potentially do all your charging for this monthly uh, cost. And that helps compare that to gas costs. And it maybe can have an impact, we hope, on the, even the sales process in mm -hmm. convincing customers of the cost benefit. 
I was about to dive into that because EVs are often fra framed as there it might be a big upfront investment, mm -hmm. but overall that you can have some cost savings there. So I was wondering how you're strategically going about this because of the value proposition that you see that this brings and what do you think, how does, what, where's the responsibility with the automakers to bring this value to the market? Yeah, I, we think it's that we can play a role as an automaker um, for a couple reasons. One is um, drivers uh, will trust us in terms of controlling the charging process and more than they're likely to trust a utility just because of our different roles. Mm -hmm. They look at a utility as having the main function of managing the grid and tracking the electricity costs and things like that. So when a utility proposes these programs, sometimes customers are a little hesitant because they're wondering what will happen to my vehicle. Will it really be ready in time? Um, is this going to affect the battery health and the battery life for my, what, what's a pretty big investment? Um, when we're involved in that, we can show the driver that what's happening is not going to negatively impact the battery life. It's not going to negatively impact the health. And they also look to us to help protect their range and make mm -hmm. sure that their vehicle will be ready when they need it to be ready. So I think that this is a good way to get many more customers engaged in these programs. Very cool. Yeah, I think obviously there's a learning curve, not only just driving an electric vehicle and the different feel and the different behaviors that you have to kind of build up and, and know, but also of course the terminology, mm -hmm. the whole new, you can't, you can either ignore it, especially if it's made easier by efforts with automakers and utilities and all these moving parts to make charging simple where you don't have to think about it. Like most yep. people don't think about gassing up there or fueling up their mm -hmm. car, um, which would be, I think, great. But if you want to dive into the nitty gritty details, there's more and more opportunity with this optimized charging software and everything. So mm -hmm. I assume in your app that or is, it's an app for the... We do right now. Yeah, we have an app for this program that customers can track. Well, first of all, what's happening with their vehicle when, when we're charging it. It's uh, you know, we're shifting the time of the charging. So they're plugging in and then they can look and see what the plan is. And it will show them it's going to charge at this hour, it's going to charge at these hours. So they get a sense. So they mm -hmm. can track that and at least give them peace of mind that it's going to be ready if they right. need to see that. But and it tracks their the incentives that they earn, you know, what, everything that's happening with their vehicle. They can track that. Um, but we do think that most of our customers don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about smart charging. They don't want to figure out the best times to charge or be responsible for manually shifting it or any of that. So we really want this to happen in the background. Yes. And so we're really asking the drivers to tell us what your departure time is. We'll have the vehicle ready by then. We'll do everything behind the scenes after that. Hmm. Okay. So that's great. It seems like you're able to, with this new program, offer this value and not necessarily, it would be great if the utilities could give you all the data possible, but they have to make it to that point wide scale to get there. Yes. So is it kind of just like, yes, come on, utilities catch up with it? Um, uh, we're looking for utilities to keep making more progress in the space. Um, but we've seen some exciting things from utilities. I mentioned the Duke opportunity, mm -hmm. which is a, a unique approach to to EV charging and the cost of EV charging. So that's a really creative approach that a utility you know, uh, is, is pioneering. Mm -hmm. um, another example of that is with PG&E, the utility in Northern California. Um, they give us a renewable energy data feed that shows us how much renewable energy will be on the grid um, over the next 24 hours. So we can we can kind of plan charging ahead based on that. Hmm. And that also gives us another way to message this to customers. Because we can show how much renewable energy they're using and how their smart charging enabled that. Mm -hmm. And this is, um, this is something that a lot of customers are excited about. 
they understand renewable energy they you know broadly renewable energy is exciting for you know people across the u.s so we can show them that they're using more of that they say ah yeah this is more energy for my community it's clean energy you know that i i know it's it's you know in my neighborhood or or in my state and they're excited about that sure and bmw is helping me do it yes uh very cool and um when you were talking about the that you're software is able to help plan this. What exactly is going on with the technology? Is it data learning? Is it, yeah, how are, how are you taking it and actually putting it into action? On the yeah, so um, when, when a customer plugs in, assuming you know they've signed up for our program, um, our system will start collecting that data from their vehicle. Like where, where are they? Um, what's the state of charge of their battery? Other information that affects the charging process, like temperature and things like that, and then determine how much time it's going to take to charge their vehicle, mm -hmm. and then look at the departure time, and then figure out, okay, is there an opportunity to shift this or not, mm -hmm. um, and then it will start shifting that. Um, we usually like to start charging right away so that a customer can see that the vehicle is charging, it's, everything works, mm -hmm. and then and then cancel the or shift the charging after that. Mm -hmm. um, and we always give the driver the ability to override. If a driver decides I don't want to be shifted, they can they can just say charge immediately, and the right. vehicle will start charging immediately. Um, and they can do that at the beginning. They can do it in the middle of the charging process. You know, it's important that the driver feel like they're in control of this, mm -hmm. and that it's um, that they can adjust to whatever their their transportation needs are right. for that day. That they can think about it, but they don't have to, but they yep. can do kind of whatever they want, of course, as the owner of the EV and the home and that home charging, of course. And then to shift things a little bit, but you know, public charging, we know about the standards, um, mm -hmm. ISO 15118. And so can you tell me a little bit about the standards that did or did not have to be used maybe in this process and how you had to navigate that as the automaker and making this new solution? That's a really good question. So as I mentioned before, ours is vehicle-based. Mm -hmm. So we're using the telematic system that's in all of our electric vehicles um, to send those messages. And we do not talk to an EVSE as part of our process, which is kind of unique. So a customer can have any kind of charging station at home, any kind of wall box or any of that, any EVSE, they can use this. As long as it's delivering the power, we can, we can manage it from there. So what that means is we don't use any communication standards between the vehicle and the charging station. Um, we don't need to use that. We, when it comes to interacting with the utilities, we do use um, some standards. The standard we most often use is open ADR. Uh, which is a, a standard that's used for demand response or was developed originally for that purpose. We found ways to continue using that. It's a common standard that a lot of utilities use, so it's, it's commonly available. Um, so that's been the approach that we've used so far. Mm -hmm. um, along those lines on the standards um, issue is we uh, work with a lot of utilities, where we hope to work with a lot of utilities. Um, a challenge that we found is we're one automaker amongst many other automakers. Um, and the, there's many utilities. There's about 3,000 utilities in the U.S. right now. So it, there's a challenge there. There's not a single standard by which you can send these messages, or I should say, there's not a single agreed upon standard that everyone's using for this. Um, so that presents a technical challenge. Mm -hmm. It also presents a business challenge. How do you set up contracts with all these utilities? That's a big challenge. Um, and to that end, we announced in September that we were establishing a joint venture with Ford and Honda called Chargescape. And that joint venture is going to be responsible for solving that many-to-many -many problem.
connecting the many automakers on one side with the many utilities. And that will involve using standards, um, potentially developing standards. Mm -hmm. It's not clear what we need yet for that. And then also addressing the business challenge, making it easier for utilities to connect with multiple automakers without having to do individual contracts with each one of us. So we're hoping that will help solve some of those standards issues as well. And you mentioned your partners there. Why specifically those automakers were you yeah, um, we have been working with those automakers on smart charging um, programs with utilities um, already. And so there, we identified that there was an interest in kind of growing this with them. And then we, we decided, yeah, let's work together and let's, um, let's create a joint venture. It would be, you know, it, it have its own staff, it would be its own company. And um, we could then work with them to help get the resources and grow this. We're hoping that in the future more automakers will be a part of that as well. Oh, okay. So it's open to further collaboration. It's open to further collaboration. Yeah, we wanted to first start uh, with the three of us, hmm. and you know, so we we announced this in September. It's still st subject to regulatory approvals, which we're working on. But we hope to have those soon, and at that point, we'd be able to launch it. And then, of course, that's separate from the group of seven automakers with the public charging network that maybe you don't have as much hands-on work with, or correct? Yeah. So there was a separate startup that we've done. These are separate joint ventures. So there's you can see that there's a lot happening in this space. Right. Um, a separate joint venture that with seven automakers, BMW being one of them, to build up fast charging infrastructure and mm -hmm. make that more available. So this is all getting at the idea that what you're seeing is, as automakers, we need to step beyond the vehicles, what we're seeing, and find new ways to support EV adoption. Mm -hmm. That's what this is really about. And then, of course, recently you announced that you're going NAX by 2025, so the North American Charging Standard, of course, um, mm -hmm. and that is also, of course, in collaboration with Tesla to mm -hmm. a bit. And so how, it's Tesla's pretty distinct from the automakers, in, I would say, and so this is kind of, would you say it's a different relationship to the ones that BMW has held before with? Well, like again, yeah, it's, it's this idea of we need to look beyond the vehicle and we need to create the right support infrastructure. And the NAC standard seems to be now where the industry is focused right now to make it easier for people to go to a charging station and know that they're going to be able to connect. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the big challenge that we're trying to solve there. And so right now you're seeing a lot of automakers um, rallying around the NAC standard as a way to reduce the, the complexity right now. If a if a driver drives up to a charging station, they're going to be they're a little unsure. Are they going to what what standard they're going to encounter? We're hoping that this makes it easier for our drivers, and that hopefully that makes it easier for EV adoption more generally. I definitely think more standardiz standardization is essential to making this more simple of a transition to going electric. But it's been so tumultuous, is what I kind of feel. It it has. I I wonder if that. Um, is a natural thing that an industry has to go through as it develops. So you, you can cite other comparisons with other technologies. Mm -hmm. And, um, but uh, what you're seeing is the us as automakers, we're committed to finding the right solution. We were part of developing the, the combo standard um, and now we're, we're you know, part of NACS. So we're trying to find the right solution there. Right. Um, but the challenge is that, you know, there's, lots of different technologies, lots of countries trying their own approaches. Um, and for us, it will continue as a global automaker, we will continue to need to look at what the individual markets need and, and address those You know, um, from, from a global perspective. We'll need to have multiple solutions. So that ends up being a challenge for a global automaker as well. 
Yes, and speaking of challenges, these are a lot of interactions with a lot, you know, different parts of the industry. Of course, other automakers and utilities, but in terms of making those partnerships and those collaborations work, can you speak to the main challenges of coming from, you know, BMW is distinct from any other automaker and like how you can find the overlap to make it less tumultuous in this industry, which is of course probably a goal for you and your customers. Yeah, uh, I think what we've tried to focus on doing is really connecting with those other stakeholders outside of the automotive industry uh, and working with them at a very early stage. So when we started our smart charging, um, program. It was actually a pilot when we first started with just 100 drivers working with PG&E, um, the utility in Northern California. And there, what we wanted to understand is what, by working with them, we could understand what are their needs, what are their challenges, uh, how do their processes work, how do we connect with them. So I think starting small like that and working with other big organizations helps us understand what those challenges are and then even just developing the vocabulary and the ability to communicate with them is really important. So we've invested a, a lot in that to understand what those needs are. I think you'll see that from other automakers as well, but I think at BMW, we particularly prioritize that. And so we were the first automaker to, to have a partnership like this uh, with the utility and started exploring it. And that's the way you, you do this is you really need to start working together with them on real projects so you understand where the challenges are and you can develop shared um, communication pathways, standards and communications that you use. Yeah, I definitely think you can't be too ahead of the game in this industry, right? I, it's it's challenging, yeah. So when we started this, and we actually started these, this kind of work in 2015, mm -hmm. um, and that was a pretty early point. And if you look at the, the changes in standards, uh, communications, um, vehicles themselves, it's changed a lot since 2015. Um, but some of the core elements about what a utility needs, what they're looking for, um, how they communicate, things like that, some of those don't change, right? They're in inherent to the industry. So if you start early learning, you can be better positioned in the long run. Mm -hmm. I would definitely say that that's true, and there's a lot of learning to be done. Um, and just to kind of pivot a little bit back to the to the tech side of things, um, because we were talking about standards, and of course there's the, but you were talking about the one standard that you mentioned, I can't remember the name, AR? Open ADR. Open ADR. Mm -hmm. And so the ISO 15118-2 and the ISO, which is the, mm -hmm. you know, to the EVS, that's the vehicle to grid, right? Um, or yeah, that's the 15118 standard, and there's a couple different versions of it, is for the communication between a charging station and the vehicle, yes. And that's interesting because in your solution, you don't need to really use either of those standards. Correct, we do not use either of those standards um, because we don't see a need right now to interact with the charging station. Mm -hmm. um, if we're interacting with the utility and controlling the vehicle, um, we can understand what the utility's needs are, what the, what the regional needs are, where there's renewable energy, where there's not, mm -hmm. where there's congestion on a particular spot on the grid, so we can understand that. Hmm. And we can, the other advantage is when the vehicle goes to a different location, we can also, um, we, can, we have data on what it's charging is like, and we can also control it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense for a customer. I think we're, uh, we're taking small steps in that direction because we know that when a customer's away from home, most of the time they're charging because they want to charge right now. Right. So you, they're not as interested in shifting. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I want to give just a very short example where this could be really interesting. Um, in in along the West Coast, especially in California, there's a, in in the spring and the fall, there's a lot of solar energy, which is mainly in the afternoon. 
and um, the utilities are looking to have more load available to absorb that solar in those afternoons. And what we can do with our program is we could potentially reduce charging at night and track how much we reduced it. And then when the vehicle leaves home and goes to work, let's say, during the day, they could charge during the day and we could actually track how much of that charging the driver shifted. Hmm. Which is hard to do if you're just focused on the EVSE. You have an EVSE at home, you have a different one at work, mm -hmm. and they're, how are they going to you know, align that information? But it's, it's really the driver that's enabling that. And so if we're focused on the vehicle, we can then make sure that the driver is incentivized to do that when it's mm -hmm. important, and then track that, evaluate that for the utility, and then maybe the driver gets incentives for that. Hmm. So what about the output for what you're doing, AC or DC? Have you decided on how that's going to um, so work for, in this system? Yeah, for our smart charging right now is all focused on AC. Mm -hmm. um, but our, our vehicles uh, that we're selling right now are all AC and DC enabled. Mm -hmm. um, a question that we'll need to address at some point it was in the V2G space, is it going to be AC focused or, or DC focused? Mm -hmm. And this is something we're uh, exploring. Right. Um, we announced. Um, recently that we're working with PG&E on V2G testing. And part of that is to understand the technology and the vehicle that's needed. A lot of that though is focused more on the, what the utility's needs are. Mm -hmm. um, what, does a, what is a utility expecting from a V2G vehicle? Are they expecting it to discharge for six straight hours? That's a challenge for a driver. Mm -hmm. um, are they expecting it to discharge for an hour um, and then during a short outage? Um, what, what are the kinds of events and then how do we communicate that to a driver? It, it changes significantly the driver experience mm -hmm. because when you're smart charging, your, your battery is always getting more full. Yeah. It's either staying the same or getting more full. Um, when you're doing V2G, you're reducing your range, at least temporarily. How does a driver understand that? Mm -hmm. How do you communicate to, that, to them? And how do you make them comfortable? Because if a driver's not comfortable with that, they're not going to participate in these programs or they're not going to buy the vehicles that are V2G enabled. And there's the concern of battery degradation that I've heard a lot when it comes to V2G because if you're, I mean, it, I think some people might think, oh my gosh, every day it's charging and unchar or you know, loading and unloading mm -hmm. my battery. What will th that do to my EV battery? Yeah, that's a question that drivers are going to wonder. And so we want to make sure that we can give them that information. What is the impact on their battery life, battery health? Um, it would definitely depend on the AC or DC. Um, to a certain extent it does. Um, with DC you can discharge at higher rates mm -hmm. and that tends to have more of an impact on battery life than mm -hmm. AC charging um, would do. It also depends on the charger, the duration of it, um, you know, temperature, or things like that um, are all factors for that. And so we want to be prepared to help a driver make sure that they get all the information they need so that when they're discharging they are fully aware of what's happening and, and what that impact is. Along your way of developing this solution and all of this work, what have you found to be the major lessons to take away? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the major lessons for us is y you, you really have to connect with the customer and help them understand this, this something that's very technical, and not overwhelm them. So there's a balance between that. You want the customer to be very comfortable. Um, you want them to have an understanding of what we're doing, but no customer has, or few customers, have the time to get deeply involved in it. Mm -hmm. So how do you communicate with them effectively about that? That's like one big element of it. Right. And then how do we translate what the utilities are used to doing? How do we translate that into individual vehicles 
and ultimately an aggregation of many vehicles that essentially can function as like a virtual power plant for mm -hmm. the utility. How do you, how do we get the utility processes ready to support um, a, a, a vehicle or a group of vehicles? And that's new, for, this is a new thing for utilities to do. Um, and it also needs to be bound by the fact that a customer purchased this vehicle not to be an energy resource mm -hmm. for the utility, but to do their <laughs> own, to, to meet their mobility needs. That's true, and then maybe you know finding what kind of benefit you can bring to them but with the V to G, but yes. that might not have been so obvious or even known about in the beginning. And so remind me again, does was this all in-house? The um, yeah, our development was largely in-house. Um, we had a, had software teams that were developing this. Um, you know, it started with our Mountain View Technology Office and just started at a small scale and we've kind of grown the, the software over time. We work with our colleagues in Munich and in, in our New Jersey uh, US headquarters and to, uh, you know, to create a program that works for the customers. Very cool. I think it's a really interesting solution, V to G. Um, I think there's a lot of potential, of course, with renewable energies and mm -hmm. also being able to sell back energy maybe, make a little bit of passive income, um, which is mm -hmm. all to be explored a little bit on the large scale. The potential is there. There's a lot of testing and also large scale mm -hmm. data collection as well. I know there's been work in the UK, which has a very different kind of utility grid than ours, more of a mm -hmm. commercial than the regulated as we have over the, here in the US. But So it seems like you're really making moves here and what could we maybe expect to see next in this space from BMW? Um, well, we're gonna continue to explore V2G. So we've announced that from a research perspective. We haven't announced any products in that space yet, um, but we may see those in the future and you'll see more that we're doing in the V2G space. It will probably take a similar approach where we're starting to work with utilities and try to understand that more. So hopefully we'll have more to share from that utility work that we can share with folks and, and show how it's growing. Very cool. Thank you for taking the time with me today to sit down and talk about this. I think it's a really, really cool part of the industry, um, especially for thinking about it as an ecosystem everywhere, the energy, where it's going to come from, where it goes to, where it can go to, all the different solutions of optimizing it, and of course how we can make it greener, which does seem to be a, a, a large way of how this is being framed from BMW's, the ability to take advantage of renewable energies as well as bring value to your customer, but also bring value to the utilities as well. Definitely, yeah, I mean it's part of our sustainability mission. Getting, We're not just looking at the vehicle, and the emissions associated with the vehicle are switching from gas to, to electric, but it's really about looking at all phases of our business, the production of the vehicle, the use of the vehicle, and how we can reduce emissions through all those aspects. Very cool. Well, maybe we'll have you on again when you have some more news. It's really knowledgeable and I love it and I love that you can speak to all of this. It's been really interesting and maybe next we'll go out on the track and race around a little bit. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining the Out of Spec podcast. It's been really interesting. Of course, I will link everything that we talked about today uh, in the description below, but let us know what comments you have in the comment section and we'll do our best to answer it. And this is, yeah, a really interesting topic. So thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time on the Out of Spec podcast. Thanks.